friends applaud, the comedy is over. Those are the last words of Beethoven. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. The Mona Lisa just isn't good enough. Those were the last words of Leonardo da Vinci. It is very beautiful over there. Those are the last words of Thomas Edison. Money can't buy life. Those are the last words of Bob Marley. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Those are the last words of Steve Jobs. Last words are so interesting, aren't they? There's such a curiosity from us as humans in a mystery to when people have their last words. That's why there's so many different books written about famous people's last words. It's their last look of the reality here and then the mystery of what's out there. It's maybe a glimpse into the afterlife of us getting to see through the door of the afterlife. It also gives someone a, a, a nugget of wisdom that they want to leave with. After all that I've lived, after all that I've done, here's one last nugget of wisdom. What would be your last words? That's a question I want us to just ponder. What would be your last words? And I know, you know today that might seem a little morbid, but, but seriously, like, what would be the last word? What would be the last phrase or sentence or thought or nugget of wisdom that you would want to leave this earth? Leave to those around you. Some of us get the chance to do that. Others don't. But as we end our whole new world series, a book, a study on the book of Joshua, Joshua had that chance to give his last words, to give his last message. And it's a recorded, the last message that he gives to his closest friends, that he gives to the to the nation of Israel to say, hey, I've lived through mountains, I've gone through deserts, and I want you to hang on to these few words. And so that's the goal as we read through Joshua chapter 23 and Joshua chapter 24, that we would read it through that lens of, okay, this is serious. This is intentional. Let's pay attention. Let's not miss it. And that's our goal, that we wouldn't miss what God would speak through Joshua to us today in 2021. But before we do, I just want to pray for you and pray for me as we dive in. Father, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being with us as we close out this book of Joshua. And I ask wherever anyone's watching that you'd help us to grab on to these nuggets of wisdom that were left in these last words of Joshua. And let it impact our lives today. Control my mind and my speech as I communicate. I pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, grab a copy of the scriptures. We're going to dive in Joshua chapter 23. I hope you're ready. I hope you got your coffee. Let's kick it. Here we go. It says Joshua 23. It says, A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, which is still happening even today when you turn on the news. All the fights that are happening in Israel is all about the, 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 the land that they feel like God had said that this is your land. That tension is still going on today. Just turn on the news. And Joshua was old and well advanced in years. Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and its heads and its judges and officers and said to them, he basically was like, all right, come on. We're all gonna come together. We're all, I got something to say. I've got something that I need to tell you. He says, I am now old and well advanced in years. He's 110 years old. 
So imagine a 110-year-old man. He's given his last message. He wants everyone to pay attention. He says, look it, I'm old. I'm well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. He says, it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. His last words, one of his last thoughts that he wanted to give the Israelite nation was this truth, that God is the one who has fought for you. God is the one who has fought for you. Give credit to where credit is due. Don't steal his applause. Don't take his compliments. Remember what he has done. And in the next chapter, in 24, he gives this beautiful historical review, reminding them, very similar to what happens when Stephen talks about it in the book of Acts, this historical review of what God has done from rescuing them from the Egyptian slavery, parting the Red Sea, parting the Jordan, the walls of Jericho coming down, watching the sun stand still. The list goes on and on and on. And in verse 13, when he ends that section, he says this, remember, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwelt in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant, reminding them, hey, where you're living, remember where that came from. What you're eating, remember where that came from. And you know, at this point, 110 years old, Joshua at this point, I mean, he could have started trying to take credit for himself. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. But it doesn't seem like he's trying to get into the hall of fame, does it? It doesn't seem like he's trying to get a statue made after him. He's reminding the Israelite nation to not forget that God is the one who has fought for them. And the moment that you have forgetfulness in that, that will lead to faithlessness, which then will lead to fearfulness. It will keep you disconnected and far from God. So stay faithful and remember that God is the one who has fought for you. Which reminds me and maybe reminds you that are there things in your life, are there scenarios in your life where if you're honest, You're saying all the time, look what I have done. Look what I have done. Now, a lot of times we don't say that out loud because it seems really arrogant, but we think it, don't we? It's really easy for us to think, look what I have done. Look what I have done with my art. Look what I have done with my finances, with my relationships, with my children, with my accomplishments. Look what I have done. Where is an area in your life where you might need to change the vocabulary from look what I have done to look what God has done. It's so important for us to just continually give credit where credit is due and to not forget what God has done and what he has done through us. So it's not look what I have done, but look what God has done through me. Let's keep going. Joshua 23, 6. It says, therefore, meaning therefore, because of the covenants that I have fulfilled, because of the promises that I have made and I have kept, it keeps going. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it, neither to the right or to the left. Important truth. Last words, if I could just share with you one last nugget of truth. Remember this truth, Israel. God's ways are better than the world's ways. This is literally Joshua's Romans 12 moment, saying, live your lives as a a pleasing sacrifice, not being conformed to the ways of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind kind of moment for Joshua, reminding them that the world's ways are not good for your life, but God's ways are best for your life. Why? Why is that important? Right here, Joshua 23, it continues. It says that you may not mix with these nations, 
that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. He says that you may not mix, which reminds us that, you know, some things just aren't meant to be mixed. Some things are meant to be separate, to not be mixed. Like for instance, this, you know, you don't mix chlorine and, or, or Clorox bleach and vinegar. You, you don't mix it because it, what does it do? Is it creates a toxic aroma, a toxicity in the air. When, some things, when we mix them, can create toxic scenarios. Like for instance, uh, if you mix this, uh, Apple and Microsoft, it can create a very toxic, frustrating situation for you if you try to mix these two components of Apple. What about this one? Toothpaste and orange juice. Yeah, after you brush your teeth, you go get orange juice. It's just not good on the tongue. It creates a toxic situation. Or, or, or what about humans having cats as pets? Maybe that's too far. I don't know, but I'm just saying it can be toxic, you know, for you. Or what about this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? When you take Mentos, the fresh maker, and put it into Coca-Cola or Pepsi, look what it does. It's just like, I wonder if that does that in your stomach if you actually eat the Mentos in You should try that. Okay, maybe not. But do it outside with your kids. It's a little fun experiment. Some things are just not meant to be mixed. So what does he mean by that? Is he saying that you're not supposed to mix with other people that don't have the same values as you? Is that what he's saying? I mean, that seems completely opposite from all of scriptures of God being a God that wants us to share his light, to share his hope. So that can't be what he means that, no, I want you to stay completely separate from those people. Stay away from those people. Well, Jesus gives us great insight of what this means. Joshua 15, 19, or John 15, 19, Jesus says this. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, maybe not, but the idea of we are not to be of the world, but we're in the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Meaning that, okay, we as Christ followers, we have God's ways and values in our lives. That doesn't mean that we stay away from the world and we never can go near the world or the people that have different values than us. No, we're supposed to be in the world, just like we've got water and oil, right? We're both in, we're both in here, right? And then look what happens, look what happens. We're still in it, we're still a part of it, but we're separate, we're separate. We have a separation because we don't want our values, God's values, to be distorted by the world's values. And so that doesn't mean that we run from people and we push them away, but that means that we have to protect those values and not allow those values to rub off, rub off on us, but our values, God's values, to rub off on them. And I want to talk to, to some of you specifically. Some of you have just started a relationship with Jesus, and when you start hanging out with some of your friends that now have different values than you, it's a little weird. It's a little tough. And for some of you, you might think, you know, I just can't hang out with those people anymore. And you know what? That could be the answer that you're supposed to uh, receive in that moment. You have to know your limits of what you can handle. Students in the room, you're hanging out with different kids and all of a sudden kids are starting to change their values and they're starting to get into other things. Does that mean you just completely write them off? Maybe, maybe. You have to know your limits and you need to talk to your parents about what those limits are. But there's also this idea that, that we, we, we don't just completely separate, that we still need to share the hope and the love and the light of Jesus with them. 
And so one tip that I've learned early on in my life is that instead of just completely blocking them out, period, you go with the approach of not being outnumbered. You, you go into environments not being outnumbered because the more that you go into environments and you're outnumbered, the odds are those values are going to distort your values. But if you say, instead of hanging out with a group of 20 that are all doing something that you know you, they shouldn't really be doing and they're going to bring you down, you grab one or two of them onto your turf. I've always liked to say this idea. I go into their turf for a little to bring them and invite them into my turf a lot. I go into their territory just for a little and then I bring them back into my territory to hang out a lot. It's a tension that we have to constantly manage of being in the world but not of the world. Allowing the values of God to be an outpouring to affect those around us and not to allow their values to affect us. It's so, so important. God's ways, last word, right, are better than the world's ways. Let's keep going. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things. Uh-oh. Until he had destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. It continues. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled, like lit, like raging against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Okay, last words, last speech. This doesn't seem so bright. This doesn't seem so happy. I mean, what's going on here, Joshua? But Joshua's serious. He's got nothing to lose here. He's given a warning of, yes, God's promises are amazing, and they're beautiful, and they're powerful, and they bring us joy and fulfillment in life. But there's the other side of his promise too. And so one of his last words, his last ideas of messages is God's promises uphold for good things, but also for the bad things. God's promises uphold for the good things and the bad things. And we don't like this. We don't like to talk about this. We want to talk about God's love. We want to talk about God's forgiveness, his grace, and the fulfillment, and the provision that he provides his children and the blessings that come upon us. But if we go against him, and if we choose to serve other gods, his blessings will leave us and like he said, will literally kick us out of the land. And again, we don't like to hear this, but this is truth. God is loving, but God is also the great judge. God brings hope, but God also has promised his wrath for those who do not follow him. The most popular verse ever in the scriptures. John 3, 16. Some of you have it memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's beautiful, right? That whoever believes in him, this is awesome, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's such a powerful, beautiful, loving, awesome verse. But there's that one line, shall perish. If you don't grab onto Jesus, if you don't follow him, if you don't have his ways, then you will perish and you will receive the wrath and the judgment of God. This is truth that needs to be declared. God's promises, he can't break his promise. He's just so righteous, he's so holy. He has to uphold his promises, the good things and the bad things. And Joshua wants that nugget of truth to be echoed all the way here to you watching right now. Let's see, let's go, let's go further. Joshua 24, 14, here's another uh, promise. Here's another nugget of a last word that he wants to share with us. Now, therefore, he says, because of what I just said, I want you to fear the Lord 
with reverence and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt, the Mesopotamian gods, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. Okay, this was shocking. I was trying to figure out a way to explain this. This is shocking. He's saying choose. He's literally saying pick a side. This is like the worst ever possible game of would you rather. It's literally like him saying, would you rather have a lovey, healthy, trusting marriage or one that you can't trust the person and you're fighting all the time? What would you rather have? Or would you rather have children that are obedient and you have a great relationship with them? Or would you rather just have terrors running around all the time and there's no relationship at all? What would you rather have? I mean, this is the would you rather game that he's saying. Would you rather have the great Yahweh, the great God that you've seen do miracle after miracle after miracle? Or would you rather have, behold, the roost, the roost of all roosters, waiting for the crowing in the morning to bring you life, to bring you energy. Look, behold, the rooster, the roost of all roosters. Is this what you want? Because see, they had to pick either the great I am Yahweh or another little God, the God of their fathers and the Mesopotamian gods. This was the God of the sun, the God of the moon, or, 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 or maybe the contemporary uh, Amorite gods that they were having that they could serve and bow down to these statues and these golden caps and animals that they would put on pedestals and worship the great rooster. This is completely ridiculous. This is, this is shocking, right? This is ridiculous. And I'm like, try, like we're going to worship the rooster? Like seriously? But this is what he was doing. He was playing the shock game because he really wanted the Israelite nation to get this. Don't miss this. This is important. And this is the same thing for us because this is what we do too. All the way here to 2021, we have to pick. God is calling us to pick. You either choose to serve me and bow down to me I'll go serve one of your other little gods that is represented by this. Represented by, okay, I'm going to worship a person. I'm going to worship money. I'm going to worship sex. I'm going to worship abstract things or dead gods like Muhammad or Buddhism or Hinduism or other religions of, of I can just work my way to earn it kind of God. Okay, behold, yes. And I know this might seem a little offensive, but this is, this is, this is how ridiculous the spectrum is. We, we, we have a God that has done miracle after miracle that came in the flesh, that died on the cross, rose from the dead so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our sin. We get to pick that. Or we get to pick this. And so Joshua was like, well, I know what I'm picking. And so what does he pick? He says, for me and my house, we're not serving. We're not bowing down to this. Me and my house, what are we going to do? We will serve the Lord. We will bow down and serve Yahweh, the creator of all. We will serve the Lord. And not just him. He's saying, my whole household, I'm going to serve. Our whole house, I'm going to have a strategy that my whole household is going to be going into the direction of serving and honoring the Lord with all that we have. You got to pick. You got to choose. What have you chosen? What have you chosen 
to honor and to serve. Who is your God? Who is your God? You got to pick one. You got to pick one. And if Jesus, the God of Yahweh, is evil to you, then you got to pick something else. What has your family picked? Because if you've picked Yahweh, if you've picked Jesus to serve for, with your life, then your family should be following suit. I want to talk to the singles in the room for a moment. You have an unbelievable opportunity right now to start a home with God as the center, with Jesus as the center. But some of you, you are dancing on the edge of fire and you are engaging or even in an engagement with someone that doesn't have Jesus as the center of their life. And you think that as soon as the marriage is over and the ceremony is over and the last dance, that they're going to wake up after the honeymoon and all of a sudden are going to be a Jesus follower. I got news for you. You're going to be in for a rude awakening. And I would love, honestly, and I say this with love, I would love to introduce you to people that I know in our church family who are unequally yoked in marriage and, talk, and let you talk to them about their circumstance and how difficult that has been for them. Don't mess that up. What are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to serve the Lord in your household to choose to serve the Lord? I want to talk to parents that are watching. I mean, <laughs> choosing this for your family is a choice I feel like I've got to make every hour, every day, every week, every month of are we going to be intentional about allowing God to be the God of our home? Are we going to allow uh, his ways and virtues and values to fill our home? Or are we gonna allow YouTube and social media to fill our home? Are we going to purposely, strategically be praying with our children, serving with our children, showing them the importance of being in church community together? We have to make that choice. Have you made that choice for yourself? And have you strategically been making that choice for your family? And so the Israelite nation, would you rather, they're like, okay, yeah, of course we're not going to pick the stinking rooster. We're not going to pick these little gods. Of course, we are going to serve you. And here's what they say. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. No way would we serve a stupid rooster. We're not going to do that. No. So then Joshua Response in another shocking way. Here's what he says. He says this, but Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. Wait, what? You're not able to do that. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions of your sins. Well, what the heck does this mean? You just told us to pick and then we picked and then you said we can't do it. So what does this mean? We don't know for sure, but most likely it probably means these two things. Either one, Joshua knew them really well. He knew what they were hiding. He knew that, yes, we're going to do that, but they were secretly just possessing over the rooster. He knew how much they were adoring and, 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 and allowing the, their little gods to be in their lives. Or pointing out the fact that they can't do it alone. That when we say yes to Jesus, it's an unqualified yes because we can't serve him and, and follow him on our own strength. We need God's strength to keep following after him. And so the idea that when you decide to choose Jesus, it can't just be flippantly like, yeah, I guess I'll choose him. Yeah, sure, okay, yeah. Let me just, yeah, okay, eh, 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 okay. I'll just go ahead and choose Jesus. No, 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 no. You have to count the cost. 
You have to literally count the cost and say, am I honestly going to serve the Lord with my life or not? Take up your cross. Isn't for the weak. Isn't for a, just a passive agreement. This is, a, this is a, a, a decision of saying, yes, I am going to choose Jesus. What have you chosen? What have you picked? I mean, how many more online messages do you need to hear? How many more times do you have to go to a service? How many more miracles does God have to show off right in front of your face? How many more signs is it going to take for you to pick Jesus? Was him dying for you and rising again for you not enough? I mean, what's it going to take? Choose Jesus who loves you and died for you and gave his life for you to have a real relationship with you. Or pick that. Pick it. Just pick it. Pick a side. Is Joshua's last words. Pick a side. So let's recap. Last words of Joshua sum up like this. God is the one who has fought for you. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't steal the credit. Not look what I have done, but look what God has done through me. God's ways are better. Oh my gosh. God's ways are better than the world's ways. And we don't allow the values of the world to mix into our values. But that doesn't mean we completely separate from people. And we look for ways to get into their territory for a little to then bring them into our territory a lot to show them the amazingness of a great, great, holy God that loves them so much. And that God's promises uphold for good things and the bad things. That God is love, but yes, God promises love and everlasting life, but he also promises everlasting separation and darkness from him if you don't follow him. And then remember, God is asking you to choose the last words, whom you will serve. Whom will you choose? The great Yahweh, the great God who loved you so much, that died for you and rose again for you, or some other little God. You got to pick a side. Pick a side. Are you ready to choose? I hope right now, if you're ready, I want to give you that opportunity to choose Jesus. And so wherever you're watching right now, if you haven't decided to serve Jesus with your life and your household with your life, that right now in the quietness of this moment, that you just pray out to him, just be real with him and just say, Father, here I am. I choose you. Just say that out loud. Declare it. I choose you. I believe that you are God, the only God that died for me, that rose again for me to take away my sin problem. And so I humble myself and I receive you, Jesus, into my life. As we continue to pray, my friend, if you chose that, if you truly meant that, as we stated earlier, John 3, 16, you will no longer perish, but now have everlasting life. As we continue to pray, there's some of you that have chosen Jesus, but if you're honest, man, you've been going off the beaten path and these little rooster gods have been getting the best of you and you have just been allowing them to take over. And you feel that, you feel that shame, you feel that disconnect. And I just want you to know that God hears you and he understands you and he wants you to come home. So stop 
worshiping those little gods and run home to your Savior. He's there with open arms and just say, God, I'm sorry and I'm coming home. I'm getting rid of this little God. I'm getting rid of that and I'm gonna worship you. I'm gonna bow down to you alone. Forgive me, forgive me, God. God, thank you for these last words. Help us to allow them to invade and impact our lives right now. We pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you chose to make a decision to serve the Lord with your life and you've given Jesus your life today, don't walk alone. Don't walk alone. And you can just text the word to the number on the screen right there. Just text the word Mile City to the number on the screen. And, and we would love to celebrate with you and answer any questions that you may have. As we close out today, as we close out today, I want to read to you the last couple verses of the book of Joshua. And the band is going to play the song called The Blessing. And when we choose to serve the Lord, his blessings come upon us. Fulfillment and joy like no other come upon our lives. And in this song, there's this phrase that talks about saying amen. It just says amen, amen, amen over and over again, which is the idea of saying that I agree. I'm saying yes to this. And so as we sing this, as you sing this wherever you're watching, that, that, that you would just declare that, that yes, I agree. I am choosing to serve the Lord. Me and my home, my household, we're going to serve the Lord. Here's what it says. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Taman Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. It says that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Joshua choosing to serve the Lord impacted generation after generation after generation after generation. And when we choose to bow and serve the Lord and strategically serve the Lord within our homes, that impacts a generation after generation after generation. Choosing the Lord is the best thing you could ever do.
Children. 